You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 57 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for May 2018, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a panel who are small in number, but that does not mean that they are not supremely high in quality. And one thing we've certainly managed to do is spread ourselves across the planet. So I'm sitting here in Ireland, then not too far away from me. I'm also joined by Simon Parnell from the Essential Apple podcast. Hi, Simon. Hello, Bart. How are you? I am absolutely fine. I'm hoping that the amazing weather Ireland is bathing in also extends to our neighbours to the east. Are you guys having a good spell? Um, well, to be honest, today it's been incredibly humid. Oh, we had that yesterday and it blew away from us. So I guess you have our yesterday weather. Yeah, it's quite unpleasant, actually. It's been really sticky and Ooh. quite nasty. Well, from if the wind is still blowing from the west, your day tomorrow will be fantastic. Excellent. Um, now, a little bit further away, and not in any danger whatsoever of ever getting second-hand versions of Irish weather, we're also joined by Alistair Jenks, all the way from New Zealand. Hi, Alistair. Hi, Bart. It's good to be back. It's been a while. Always a pleasure when we can make the weirdo time zones line up. So that I mean, you're literally, it's Monday morning for you, uh, and yeah, it's, it's Sunday so night for me. It's not so much time zones as as days. Yeah. It's uh, our Queen, Queen's birthday observance today, so hence I'm uh, available. Oh, so it's a bank holiday for you guys, yeah, because there's a bank holiday in Ireland tomorrow, but I don't think you guys in the UK have that pleasure, do you? Uh, no, we don't, no, because we had, um, we had the uh, end of May bank holiday. Ah, I so you had yours last weekend. Yes, we, we have the what is now called the late May bank holiday, previously known to the rest of us as the spring bank holiday. Oh, we have the June bank holiday. And ours we is tomorrow. No, we don't we don't get one of those, I'm afraid. We have to go from the end of May all the way to the end of August before. Ooh, the end of August. Well, yep. We have to go from the beginning of June to the end of October. That's even winter. worse. Yay. <laughs> We have the August bank holiday next after the June bank holiday. Anyway, we have quite a bit of Apple news to get through. So even though next week, I say next week, tomorrow is WWDC. And as per usual, there's a certain amount of people keeping their powder dry until after WWDC. We do actually nonetheless have a pretty jam-packed show. Um, So before we get stuck into the main stories, just one little bit of legal latest to, to dip into. Um, because, literally, since as long as I have been podcasting, Apple have been suing <laughs> Samsung. Yes, uh, Guy, and, Guy and I were talking about this earlier, saying, <sighs> poor old Bart, this thing, you know, 2025, he's still going to have to be reporting on this bloody story. Probably, anyway, yeah, <laughs> because it's got all the way up to the Supreme Court, who, rather than making a decision, kicked it back down to a lower court who have now had a jury trial and decided that rather than a billion dollars, Apple should get 533 million instead, which is half a billion. Uh, on the one hand, you could say, oh, wow, it's half the judgment. On the other hand, it's still half a billion dollars. But of course, Samsung can appeal again because this isn't the Supreme Court. This is a lower court. So they can try and go back up again. So we can do all this all over again in a few months' time. Uh, I think, as as me and Guy said, you know, somewhere in here, there's a matter of, pride now it's it's what seven 
more years, 10 years, I don't know. 2012 Since is it, the year of the case, isn't it? So it's, it's, uh, it's the Apple yeah, Samsung 2012, but, so six years and counting. But, it, but it's based on the original iPhone, 20, yes. 27, 2007. So, you know, really, and it's like, you get the impression that it's now just a matter of pride. And as Guy said, why can't they just both grit their teeth, come to an agreement and never mention it again? See, I'm not sure it is pride. I think it's principle. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But it's... Uh, and Samsung's said, general tactic is to copy people and then just drag it out in court as long as they can. Yeah, and hope that by the time it, they finally lose, it's irrelevant. Which I mean, it is, right? Point, Mission accomplished. At half, a billion, at half a billion, it's already irrelevant, and it's technically probably over something that happened 11 years ago. Well, they made more profit out of their infringements than half a billion dollars. So I'm ultimately, sure. if you're going to be cold and calculating about it, mission accomplished. Uh, there was there was a there was a story I can't remember who posted was it uh, it might have been nine to five Mac who said they expected Apple to quote unquote lose and be awarded something in the region of thirty nine million. Um, well, looks like he was wrong, doesn't it? By a factor <laughs> of ten and a little bit more, yeah. Um, I think you should just call it legal. Oh no, not again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right, I think there's enough of that. In there. Or Groundhog Day, because <laughs> yeah, we, we've had this argument so many times that I just I, I think it's important to mention that this case has taken another step on its long and twisted journey. Um, <laughs> but that's all I really want to say about it. So there we go. We have acknowledged the new reality, and now we shall carry on to our main stories. So. I've broken the news down into five main stories um, for the month, but they're, some of them are quite um, aggregated, um, which is actually one of the things I enjoy about doing a monthly show, is I sort of do get to, to group individual small stories into sort of bigger picture stories. And the first grouping is a bunch of stories around Apple's app stores. And it's actually been quite an eventful month in terms of the app stores. And there's probably no harm to, look, to, to take some time to, to, to talk about them, given that WWDC is tomorrow. And it's not unreasonable that we may hear some news about app stores at WWDC if, if Apple are going to talk about it anywhere. That sort of seems like the place. Um, so the first story I have is that Apple are cracking down on apps that share location data with third parties. And... I'm pretty sure this is down to the good old-fashioned GDPR. Um, but Apple have removed apps from the store that don't ask for clear consent before sharing with the third party. And they've told developers, either ask for clear consent or stop using the location API. Take your pick, resubmit the app, and we'll pop you back in the store. Uh, but they've also tweaked the language so that um, the actual terms and conditions have got a bit tighter. So it now says data collected from apps may not be used or shared with third parties for purposes unrelated to improving the user experience or software hardware performance connected to the app's functionality or to serve advertising in compliance with the Apple Developer Program License Agreement. So basically, if you're not doing ads that comply with our rules or using the data to make your app or your hardware work better, then you are not allowed to share with any third party the location data. Which, as a user, law, really, yeah. But as a I, user, I that's pretty it, restrictive. I like that. that that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm all with that. Good for them. 
it's, it's interesting that. that they're talking about clear consent because hmm. the I have an app in the, in the store that uses location or can use location, and all the consent is is when you call a location API, you have to provide a description of why you want it. Yes, that's it. You you just literally put it on a plist file saying, and the, the the guidelines say, describe what functionality they will gain by allowing this. That's, Yes, which is why the app needs to be... You are misleading people or being extremely lazy. Right, which is why the the, the apps need to be resubmitted for review. So the issue is not that the pop-up isn't coming up. It's that when Apple reviewed the content of said pop-up, like you say, using the API where you put in the string, that it wasn't giving an appropriate description. So Apple now want you to to, to use that API function properly. I think the the, the classic case here is what you know along with gdpr apple who have uh during this month said uh we will be basically taking the gdb uh gdpr regulations mm. and rolling them out worldwide because that's the simplest thing for us to do yeah um, which is and and so have microsoft to be fair they've yes. taken the same approach um which is we'll just take these, you know, these are the strictest regulations we appear to be subjected to. So we'll just we'll apply those to everybody because it makes our life easier. Um, what they're really saying is it's no longer good enough to say uh, this application collects uh, location data and we use it to make uh, things better. You have to describe more fully why you are doing it and what you are doing with it and if you are sharing with any third party uh, so that people have fully informed consent and good for Apple, good for Microsoft uh, and good for GDPR as far as I'm concerned. And the people who are whining about it are just, well, they're people who, uh, you know, have been robbed of a cheap way to get data. Well, yeah, and on the whole, I did I did a fairly detailed podcast about GDPR uh, with Alison Sheridan on the Chit Chat Across the Pond podcast, and ultimately the GDPR is actually, despite being legislation by the European Union, which is generally speaking not a good start to a conversation, it's actually very sensibly put together. Um, yes, it's one of the best things the EU have ever done, as far as I can see. Yeah, I would agree with you, um, yeah. And and even even the you know a lot of people in the US, uh, many people that I've spoke to uh, through the MyMac network, um, all seem to think that yes, you know, for once the EU are putting forward probably the most sensible uh, user privacy legislation uh, in the world, and because of the way it is applied, in that it doesn't really matter where an EU citizen goes in the world. They are still subjected to the same rules. Uh, Big companies, most decent big companies like Apple, like Microsoft, are saying, okay, fair enough. The simplest thing for us to do is to roll this out for everybody. So actually it benefited pretty much the whole world. It's become a baseline, basically. So like um, within America, California emission standards are effectively national because everyone wants to be able to sell their cars in California. Europe is a big enough market that European state of protection rules are, you know, sufficiently important to comply with that they've become a baseline for the planet. And hopefully now someone else will take up the mantle and just ratchet that baseline up a little bit higher and we keep pushing things towards the Uh, user and not towards everyone being sold. Well, the next... (laughs) As it happens, there's something we were discussing earlier. The uh, and I think it was uh, 
guy and me and then uh today on our show there's a there's a new follow-on legislation going through the eu at the moment called the e-privacy uh legislation which will ramp it up a, a level further oh interesting i'll have to go read up on that uh, yeah, you will find a link uh, certainly on the My Mac show. You will find a link to that, um, and I can put a link in the show notes for you if you like. But there's uh, it's a follow-on legislation, and yet again, of course, the the data harvesters are whining and crying and moaning that it's going to destroy the internet and destroy the world, and the sky will fall in because yeah. they won't be allowed to rob people with data and sell it for you know, yeah for their purposes. But, um, yeah, uh, it's being uh, promoted by, I, I don't remember her name here, uh, Birgit somebody. She's a German MEP. But, uh, yeah, there's a follow-up, uh, an even more stringent, and what it basically says is people cannot, as well as uh, harvesting data from you going uh, to websites and so on, uh, people cannot harvest your metadata from uh, messaging apps or voice over IP and so on and so forth. So, Which is actually a big deal because metadata is extremely revealing, actually. So that is yes, interesting. Meta, that metadata is metadata is very very much saying that uh, you know stopping people from reading your actual data doesn't actually make that much difference if they can read your metadata. They yep. can infer most of it from the metadata. Yeah, if your metadata says um, that you that, that you uh, have regular appointments with an oncologist, you don't need to read my email to know I have cancer. Precisely. If your metadata says you regularly phone a prostitute, you don't need to actually hear the conversation to know what I'm up to, right? That... No, exactly. That is that is exactly it. So um, this, this I believe it's woman, uh, Burgett, I no, I don't have a name to hand now, but she is putting forward a thing called the e-privacy regulation. Uh, I believe it's going through the EU Parliament at the moment, and it's likely to become law in a year or two. And uh, the data harvesters are crying and whining. Okay, well, I'll have to go read up on that. I'll have to go do my homework on that. That sounds interesting. And as, far as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, they're going to have to suck it up. Probably, probably. <clears throat> now, so... That's a positive development for the App Store. Unfortunately, not everything that happened this month is positive for the App Store. No, it's not. A collection of stories definitely caught my eye. Government censorship of the App Store is a thing. It's not something I don't think Apple ever wanted to become a thing, but a thing it has become because we now know that in China, Apple have been forced to remove all the apps that use CallKit, which is their API for VoIP calls. Because, of course, CallKit does end-to-end encryption because that's how Apple roll. So any app that uses CallKit has to remove CallKit from their app in order to be listed on the Chinese app store because the Chinese government basically said, if we can't hear you talk, you may not talk. And, of course, Apple have no choice. Yep. Uh, And much as, uh, what was it, a month, two months ago, they were first forced to pull all the VNC. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, not, a few months ago now, and then uh, not VNC. Uh, wasn't VNC? Was it? Uh, no, it wasn't. But it was almost VNC. VPN. VPN. That's not, that's what we. Yes. Somehow I heard VPN in my head, even though you said VNC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VNC. VN. Yeah, VPN. What? Well, yeah, it's VPN. They were forced to pull all the VPNs, um, and now they've been forced to pull the cool kit 
uh, as you say, voice over IP calling because the Chinese government don't like anything that means they can't watch what you're doing. Intercept, yeah, and I guess Apple were probably given the Hobson's choice of either remove all the apps or give us the keys, in which yeah. case it's better for Apple to remove all of the apps than to hand over the keys. Precisely. Uh, similarly, then, Russia forced Apple to remove Telegram from the Russian app store. And that actually seems to have had some collateral damage because the Telegram developers are complaining quite vocally that since their app has been pulled, they can't submit updates to iTunes for any of the stores. And I think that's because the iTunes store was written to sell music and at no point in its design was it envisioned that we'd be doing per-country censorship for government takedowns. Uh, I've got an update there has on that. Been a, yeah, yeah go on, Alistair, go ahead. You, you, you probably, you know... Because I, I, I alerted uh, Alison Sheridan, who who put me onto Telegram, because um, mm. she was quite interested in this um, this application, that this was going on, and she said, oh, wow. And then about 24 hours later, I got an update on my Mac, and then about another 24 hours after that, I got an update on my iPad. Excellent. So I think their kvetching in the press has uh, had the usual effect. Or it was yeah. going to happen anyway, and uh, possibly, it's a coincidence. But, but I mean, I imagine it was a, a, just you know working in IT. My, my my sort of reading of the facts we had in our hand was that this store was never designed to be censored in this way. No, it was not. Um, no, but it's it's. I mean, going forward, it's it's part of doing business. I mean, there there are numerous problems with uh, Apple and other companies with value-added taxes around the world that it's, you know, in this part of the world, that's mm. a thing where they suddenly have to include a tax here that they didn't have to before. And they're going to have to do various things that governments say that are going to be different in different territories. So they just can't have to f- figure out how to do this stuff. They're already delivering, um, you know, movies and television and whatnot differently in different territories. So yeah, it's just part of being a global company. Yeah, and the yeah, fact think... that they got it sorted is the important thing, right? So uh, while I still, it, it's disappointing that in Russia you can't get Telegram, it's not up to Apple to, to to fight that fight. It's up to the Russians to fight that fight with the Russian government. And the same goes yeah. from China because Apple can't disobey the law. Like we would never tolerate Apple coming into Ireland and flouting our laws. And I'm pretty sure the New Zealanders would feel the same way and the Americans would feel the same way. So... What's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Apple has to be a law-abiding company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Apple's sort of caught in the middle, the messenger, as it were, in this. And, and they, they, as you say, they've got no choice other than to, to do what they're told. Hmm. But would, I just think some of the, the Apple press sort of tend to lean too much on the Apple angle, saying Apple this, Apple that, Apple the other. No, Russian government yeah. don't like encryption. That's the headline. Yeah. Of course, the... the, the um... The colliery, I suppose, to this story is that uh, although the Russian government decided that they didn't like Telegram, Telegram is one of the most popular encrypted messengers in Russia. Yes. Uh, exactly for the fact that it is uh, a Russia, owned by a Russian company. So in the same way that, you know, a lot of Americans might not like to use Telegram because it might be influenced by the Russian government, the Russians like to use Telegram on the grounds that it's not influenced by the American government. Um, and <laughs> oh, bizarrely, yeah. <laughs> bizarrely, uh, there's there's a there is a big kickback in Russia, from what I've read, and there's a lot of kickback 
from the Politburo because Telegram is their preferred um, safe you know, mechanism. <laughs> safe, controlled oh, by dear, a Russian dear. company. <laughs> oh, it's um, a twisted it, web, right? <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. Um, now, as, as for the as for the updates, that the thing seems to have been that um, for some reason, whether it was confusion over blocking the app or not, I don't know. But yeah. there was a Telegram kicked up and said, if you don't let us do an update, then we will not be able to be compliant with GDPR uh, across mm. the rest of the world. Um, and all of a sudden, um, updates started rolling out, and apparently there were two updates in two days. So Apple have obviously unblocked their um, update for the rest of the world. Yeah. So Either way, Oswald well actually well. mentioned GDPR as well. Yeah. Yep. Now, something Apple can do, of course, while they have no choice but to obey the law, they can be a little bit passive aggressive about being, you know, about obeying the law. And that's exactly the course Apple have chosen to take. So, starting from the next reporting period, which starts on the 1st of July, Apple are adding a new section to their regularly released transparency report. They are going to report every time a government makes them take down an app. So, while they have no choice but to follow the law, they can draw attention to it and help people campaign against this kind of censorship by being open and transparent about the censorship. So that is, to me, a good thing to see Apple do that. It's, you know, it's the best they can do, realistically speaking, I think. Well, realistically, I think you're right. I mean, it's name and shame or, um, you know, point the finger, call it what you like, isn't it? It's saying, you're, you're able to say, North Korea said we can't do this or China said we can't do that or... Yep. The Russians, you know, say we can't do that. that I, um, again, as a as a kind of um, footnote to that, they also added, I believe, to their transparency report, the fact that they're going to report how many U.S. Um, law enforcement requests they get. Well, they've been doing that for quite a few years already. Actually, that that, that is what no, the transparency they... report currently consists of. Yeah, but they, they, I believe they're going to expand on their um, reporting of government um, security requests to uh, access iOS and um, iCloud accounts. Okay. I know they already report on it, but I, I read... I believe well, I yeah, read this I, I will believe it. Expand I will, on it. I will believe they yeah, can, yeah, make it more detailed, right? I mean, it's something Apple have been doing for a long time. So Apple have their transparency report on the government stuff. They also do their environmental report, and they also do their Chinese labor report. So they're they're pretty open, actually, as companies go, and it sort of it puts pressure on them, and it puts pressure on the outside forces making them do things as well. So I, I think it's in all of our interest that Apple keep releasing these kind of reports. Oh, very much, very much. I, I, I'm always very pleased that Apple are, you know, realistically pretty open about what they do in hindsight they're very 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 close to what they're going to do but they're actually quite open about what they have done yes like tomorrow <laughs> like tomorrow and there's been no rumors there's been oh, there's been no leaks almost right almost none almost none oh, um, almost there's a, a I wish there'd been none there's well, almost... okay i haven't been spoiled yet shush no shush <laughs> let's not mention it okay oh you you won't believe it oh, <laughs> Um, I won't develop- believe what this iPhone looks like now. 
but to be honest, I don't think hardware is what I'm interested in. I'm really interested in the nerdy, low-level API stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. There we go, right. Now, there was a, a bit of a joke about BuzzFeed, but never mind. Oh, look, I, I know the, the, the stock market want Apple to use their developer conference to release hardware, and the stock will go down. Like, if they don't oh, release okay. the, the world's best next iPhone in an event that's not even slightly about that, the stock will go down. But, hey, we're used yeah, to that kind ne- of stupidity. Never mind. Let's, let's move on. Exactly. <laughs> so what also happened this month is that some of the indie developers have decided that it would be in their interest to combine forces in some sort of union-like thing to try get a little bit more leverage over the operations of the App Store. So they're calling themselves very imaginatively the Developers Union. And to, I would argue they're being very realistic. So their goal for 2019 is that by this time next year, there will be free trials in the App Store. And if they succeed in that, then they'd like to start talking to Apple about some other stuff, like, say, maybe changing the cut that apps and the developers versus Apple get and stuff like that. But basically, they're, develop- they're indie developers targeting the Apple platform who would like Apple to make their platform a little bit more developer-friendly. And particularly, they're they're fighting for it to continue to be possible for indie developers to put bread on the table writing software for yeah. Apple's platforms. Um, I mean, we discussed this on Essential Apple uh, probably a couple of weeks ago when it, you know, when it broke. Yeah. Um, and, and like you, we were of the opinion, realistically, that, you know, they're not um, unionizing into some kind of radical army. They're just asking, you know, their their requests seem to be fairly moderate. Uh, yes. Can we have, uh, you know, free trials? I'm assuming they're talking here about... Um, you know, time-limited free trials or or, or similar. Or, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever API than... they come up with, time-limited is one way they do the API. Maybe yeah. functionality-limited, basically, where the developer can say, I'll make this API call when they've done enough X, Y, or Z, and then you should lock them down until they pay. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you could do it. But at the end of the there day, as as a developer, it's it's very difficult to sell an app for anything other than 99 cents if you can't give people a free trial. And as a user, I find myself really torn because I want to give my money to good software and I want to pay $10, $20 for a good app. But I also want to be damn bloody sure it actually is a good app before I give over a bloody penny. Before you you put your money up. I mean, at the moment, there seem to be you know, there seem to be two models, don't they? There's the kind of, there's the light version and then, you know. In-app purchase. Or there's the in-app purchase model. Um, neither of which, I think, are what developers really want because they cannot give you the full experience. Yeah. Uh, they, this is the thing. It's all very well for a casual app. You know, you download the light and then it says, you think, oh, well, I, I'd like to be able to add that. And it says, oh, well, for 99 cents, click the NAT purchase and add, I don't know, cloud backup or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But for more complicated apps, you need to be able to try the full experience yep. before you invest 10, 20, 30 dollars euros pounds whatever into an app uh, i don't think that's an unrealistic sure. app uh 
I'm pretty sure I've seen um, an app somewhere recently that did actually have time-limited functionality somehow. Subscription apps can do it. If you're a subscription app, you can give a free intro to your subscription. Yeah, because I think the real challenge here, which which only Apple can solve, is 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 not technical at all. I mean, you can you can probably oh, yeah. do it now anyway, but it'll be against some Apple guideline, and so they'll say, oh, you can't do that if the if the user's paid or if you've. Well, I don't think the free, APIs are in the money taking part of the code. Basically, you as it when you get paid through Apple, you have to you know there's the there's only so many API calls, only so many ways you can you know iTunes Link only gives you so many buttons to push. And the only kind of trial at the moment is a trial of a subscription app. And Apple don't let any app become a subscription app because, well, that's actually a good thing because not all apps. I don't want a subscription to my calculator. Whereas I do, I find it acceptable to have a subscription to a cloud-hosted app like Evernote because that is actually sensible. They have ongoing costs, so I, I feel like it's a sensible thing to have a subscription. But I love Peacock but I just wanted to give the guy some money and then have him sod off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but there's, I mean, there's, that's a double-edged sword because if you were buying Peacock, uh, you know, if he put out a new release that you had to buy every year and you said, yep, that, that's a good update, I'll buy it, then isn't that technically the same as a subscription if it was the same amount? No, because I get period? to decide and I get to keep what I have if I decide not to. But you can cancel your subscription at any time. Yeah, but then I lose the app. If I choose not to upgrade, yeah, I get to keep true. what I have. And, I mean, I wouldn't... The other thing, the obvious missing feature is upgrade pricing. Because, to yeah. be honest, it it takes a lot of effort to go from a version 2 to a version 3, from a version 3 to a version 4. And it's entirely reasonable for developers to be paid for that. In fact, not just reasonable. If we want developers to keep making great apps and keep improving them, we need to find a way to repay them. And it's not fair to make us buy the app from scratch. That's People find that very irksome. So at the moment, all developers can do is have a limited time percentage off for absolutely everyone, which is kind of a free ride for non-existing users. So it's all a bit of a yeah. hack. And again, that's entirely solvable. That's The, the problem there is simply that the, the stores are music stores that have been crudely repurposed with a sticker over the top. And Apple just need to put the work in to the back end to add the features that developers and customers want to get a better buying experience. And yeah. since Phil Schiller has taken over, I'm a lot happier because those, that new iOS app store where they have the actually written by creative people featured apps and stuff, I'm actually finding the app store a useful app. Which never happened yeah. before. I'm, I'm, I'm still a bit torn. I find the App Store incredibly difficult to discover things in. It's great that that you know the front facing part of it is is definitely better. Mm. But um, today, actually, I I wanted to find an app because I had a story about it, and so I went into the App Store. And I searched for it by what I believe was its name. <laughs> yeah. No, Nothing. No. no, 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 no. I searched for it by what I believe was its category, and it, <laughs> it turned up nothing. The only way that I could actually turn up the app in the app store was to search for it using DuckDuckGo. Yeah. And then find the iTunes, you know, the, the link from their own site saying, find us on the app store here. That was the only way I could find it. So surfacing an app on the App Store is still a disaster. Yeah, I iOS mean, it's better, the... but it's not fixed. Yes, it... Oh, it's better, 
it's better than it was, but it's still pretty poor. Yeah. Um, but anyway, course, it's, you know, progress. And so the fact that the developers have gotten together to try put pressure on Apple to do the kind of things that will make life better for indie developers, I, I can't see a downside to it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with them. I'm completely with them on that. And the other one, of course, is um, one of their second stage things is to try and negotiate what they believe is a fairer split. Yeah, and um, park that for a moment because I'm going to get back to that, the story after next. Hmm. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so the next thing I had on my list then that happened this month in the App Store that made a lot of people very exercised is that Apple went and beat it all capricious again. Now, this used to happen a lot in the early days of the App Store, and they've mostly gotten their stuff together, but it happened again this month. So Valve, the company behind the Steam platform, which you could describe as iTunes for games, um, you basically buy games on Steam and then you can play them on any device... And obviously, there is no Steam app for iOS because that would mean giving Apple a 30% cut of every sale. And that really, really wouldn't work for Valve because Valve are only getting a percentage from the developers. If they then had to hand over another 30% to Apple, the business model would fall on its backside. So what, what Valve asked for permission to develop and then went ahead and developed was an app that didn't allow people to buy anything or in fact even play anything. It's basically screen sharing for gaming so you need to have a device running steam on the same local area network as the ios device and that that device hosts the game and all the ios device would do would be to see the pixels move about and to con- to send controls back to the computer to make things go up down left right etc etc so we're talking about airplay really. we're basically talking about a, an application specific vnc yeah. Not not a VPN. No, um, you're right. So an airplay type. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it, it it's actually an extremely sensible product for Valve to want to create, um, especially because it means that if you have a great big gamer rig, it can do all the heavy lifting, and the iPad or whatever can just be a really nice screen. I mean, it's 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 a great idea. And Apple approved the app, and having had the app approved, Valve went and made a big public announcement about it, and. They were rightly proud of this new creation and everyone was looking forward to it being available to download. And then within 24 hours, it all went deeply downhill because Apple changed their mind and pulled the app and basically said to Valve that that they're not getting it back. And Valve, to be fair to them, have been extremely polite about it in public. But I can't imagine that there weren't some very choice swear words issued inside the boardrooms of Valve because, frankly, Apple treated them like absolute crap. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's a very... Um, it's not often when I feel the need to call Apple out as behaving terribly, but that's, that's disgraceful. It is disgraceful. So either they should never have issued the approval because they should have had their own ducks in a row before they said anything... Yeah, or they much. should have sucked I, it up. I, I, I uh, think very much it's a case of the they, former. They, yeah, they should have made their mind up and either not allowed it, or double check what the hell they were uh, allowing. Um, and because it's such a high level and high profile, to mm-hmm. be honest, I mean, Steam is huge. Yes, um, you know, some drone, as it were not to denigrate the person who it was, but you know what I mean? So 
some middle manager in app approval should not have been able to approve this or or unapprove it. Well, I, I I think the middle manager approved it because the app, frankly, ob, 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 uh, you know, abides by all the flipping rules. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but, it doesn't. What doesn't it abide? Follow ups. There's a follow-up story um, that I noticed you didn't have linked in the show notes. I've got a 9 to 5 Mac in front I of me. I may not here. have seen it then. Uh, an email from Phil Schiller. We care deeply about bringing great games to all of our users. You're right. Um, however, he says, unfortunately, the review team found that Valve's Steam iOS app, as currently submitted, violates a number of guidelines around, wait for it, user-generated content, in-app purchases, content codes, etc. Nah, that's, so, that's horse poop. Uh, their their line now is that it, it violates rules, a significant number of significant rules. So hence why, as I mentioned before, it's, it was the former case. Somebody approved it who just shouldn't have. If this is their position, then that's their position, and we can all disagree with it. But clearly, there are a lot of rules have been violated. However... Uh, no, okay, you, so user-generated content, the right... That's Apple's. When I say rules violated, I mean Apple thinks their rules have been violated. I'm not saying no. And Apple senior sense. management has invented some rules and backported a violation. Right? User generated content is Apple's get out of jail free card. If you include a web view where someone could conceivably get to some porn, Apple call that user generated content. And unless you're Safari, Apple say, "Oh, there's an excuse for us to make it an 18 plus app." Apple have been using that canard for years, and that doesn't hold any water with me. And the um, in-app purchases one. Basically, Apple aren't getting the 30% because no one's buying anything through the bloody app. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my take on that, Alistair. And um, it's slightly different to um, Bart's, although I would still call horse feathers. Um, horse feathers, no less. Horse feathers, indeed. Um, <laughs> and I think that the, what they're going to apply there is user-generated content. Now, of course, a, a lot of the games that um, Valve and Steam allows you to use are, are games like uh, Call of Duty and, I don't know, Fortnite and those sort of things. Um, and those are often the sort of games where users generate their own maps hmm. or their own levels for, for other people to play. And I can see Apple playing the card there that, user-generated content may infringe copyright rules. Right, but then there shouldn't be a single VPN app on the store because you can do anything through a VPN. There shouldn't be a single browser in the store and there shouldn't be a single messaging app in the store and there shouldn't be a single forum app in the store. I'm sorry, Phil Schiller (laughs) is afraid of his 30% and he's wrong. Horse feathers, indeed. You know, I'm calling horse feathers. I'm just saying I can see that being their legal argument. Allowing a, quite, a, quite a, allowing an app that allows user-generated content could infringe copyright material. Right, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I know, yeah, I, I, I entirely agree that's what they're trying to do, and I'm just saying, dear Phil Schiller, I'm not a flippin' idiot. How no. dare you think so lowly of your users? This that's is not, how would, how not would, to incredible. To end on a positive note, Yay. we've discussed these issues with Valve and will continue to work with them to help bring the Steam experience to iOS and Apple TV in a way that complies with the store's guidelines. All right. Well, that's, I hope that's true. Right, that's bonus then. Okay. We'll get, we, you know, that's good. So, but yeah. I'm it, sure it, they'll it work it out. shouldn't have they'll happened is, is the it short shouldn't answer. Have happened. I, I suspect that somebody somewhere was 
maybe a little premature in launching something. Maybe they even got a little bit excited about it themselves. Oh, that would be good. My my yeah. <laughs> my vision of it is exactly the opposite. Someone somewhere did the right thing, and Phil Schiller overruled them, and Phil Schiller is wrong. Well, well either way, yeah. right? Hang on, Someone these guys somewhere. have money. Do we get some? <laughs> yep, pretty yeah. much. Speaking okay. of money, yes, uh, yes, and this is probably the bit I was going to uh, talk about. So. This is so Microsoft have thrown down a little bit of a gauntlet. Now they've done it in a very Microsofty way, as in it's complicated. A bit like trying to license Windows 10. It's complicated. <laughs> You but, can have Home, you can have Home Plus, you can have oh Business, God. you can have uh, <laughs> Enterprise. Try enterprise. license SQL Server for a virtual <laughs> platform with multiple potential CPUs. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so, assuming you line up your ducks correctly, it is possible to get from Microsoft in their Windows Store... A 95-5 split with developers, as in the developer gets 95% of the money and Microsoft get 5%. So that is that is sort of the default tariff, but there are a few very important asterisks around that default tariff. So the first of these asterisks is that if the purchase is the result of some sort of promotion by Microsoft, where Microsoft are using one of their properties to drive customers to you, the developer, then the cut becomes 85.15, which is still much better than Apple's cut. Yeah. That seems fair enough. I mean, if if it's something they're actively promoting, I don't see why they shouldn't take a cut. And then the greedy bit, if it's a game, and therefore likely to be popular... We'll have thirty seventy, please. So we're sticking with Apple on anything that's going to make any real money. Yeah, pretty much. So your productivity apps, if we don't send you the customer, you can have 95%. And that is definitely, like, if you're an indie developer who's developing a calendar app, who's developing any sort of productivity apps, this is very, very good for you. But yeah. the biggest money in apps is in gaming. And Microsoft have basically decided to um, keep that money while getting and- really good press for the rest. And my only other comment on that is, have you looked in the Microsoft Store? <laughs> it is, it's not It's not the busiest place. No. Um, you know, the Microsoft Store is... A, I can see why they might even be encouraging a 95% split. Well, they need the apps. indie developers, right? Those guys who formed that union... For Apple, the guys writing the really cool software we all adore on iOS and the Mac, those guys are not in the Windows Store at the moment, or they're, they're equivalent. And The Windows Store is, is like tumbleweed. It yeah. really is tumbleweed. And that's exactly who that 95.5 split is aimed at, those indie developers who are not present on the platform and badly needed. So it's actually very clever of Microsoft. And while I am mocking the fact that they're keeping 30% of the really lucrative stuff, it is extremely clever. Like, it, it's... It, it's, it's not dumb. Not, it's not unheard of before. I mean, you know, you charge businesses more because they've got more money because they make money from your product. So it, it's it's kind of an interesting way of defining that. But the people who make lots of money by using your product, you take more money off them. Well, to me, the eighty five fifteen split does that beautifully. If we have promoted your product, we get to keep a little bit more. And I have, I, I, I cannot find myself arguing against that eighty five fifteen or the ninety five five. The seventy thirty split on games is. I, I find myself going. I admire you for your cojones. But <laughs> you're being quite cheeky there. That's uh, yeah. that's, that's a chutzpah of the highest order. 
It is definitely chutzpah. But as is, like you say, you know, there's enough money being made there, I guess, that they can afford the 30% handover to Microsoft. And the the store isn't lacking in that aspect because, of course, the Xbox platform and stuff has gamers very much in Microsoft's ecosystem. Whereas they are missing the indie devs. They're missing the equivalents of the Panic software and those kind of companies. They definitely are. You know, if you go to the Windows store, um, it's very lacking in the sort of things that you would find in um, Google Play or or certainly the depth, the width and depth that you would find in Android, uh, you know, Google Play or the iOS store. Yeah, I've been in there once or twice on, on my Windows 10 VM. I think it was to get Skype. It's a pretty dead place. I didn't hang around for long. It reminds me of Google Plus, put it that way. Yeah, now hopefully this this puts a little bit of pressure on Apple to offer something better for indies because yeah, I think sorry. the I think the union would be quite happy with a 95-5 split for non-games. Oh, at the moment, I as I understand it, the, the the developer union's second target after um, uh, free trials, upgrade pricing, their next one is uh, a slightly more equitable cut on the mm. on the store. Yeah, but there we go. Exactly. Okay, um, unless anyone wants to chime in, I'm going to move us on to our second story, which is hopefully a little bit shorter. So the other thing that is definitely, I've been putting off talking about this for months. This is not, this is one of those stories that's like a bit like a frog in boiling water. I'm not quite sure at what point it, it crosses <laughs> from being not a story to being a story, but I've decided this month is it. People have been cranky with the so-called butterfly keyboard since the moment it came out, and the level of crankiness has been slowly and steadily ratcheting up. And I think this month, I think we've hit some sort of inflection point because I guess two things happened. So Apple Insider did some investigative reporting and they basically managed to put some numbers on the problem. And a class action lawsuit was filed, which is not all that surprising, but these things happen. No, I mean, and it was um, <laughs> mid-week, uh, mid-month, I think... Uh... I you know I called oh well you know eventually it's happened the uh, the class lawsuit actions have happened the thing is the people the people who are the most vocal about these keyboards are the power users who are exactly the people who set the trends who are exactly the kind of people apple need to make be happy if they're yes. to get a good reputation for their products now I own a 2012 MacBook with these butterfly keyboards. In fact, I am recording this very show on that exact 2012 MacBook. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the nicest Mac I've ever owned. And I love it to bits. And 12? Really? I think you mean 12-inch MacBook. Probably do, don't I? Yeah, that's what I mean. I was going to say, I've got a 2012 MacBook Pro and that's a big fat one with the, you know, DVD. Yeah, sorry. It's a 12-inch early 2015 yeah, it's the very first ones, I think, with the butterfly. Actually, no, the second is the second ones with the butterfly because it's the revision two of this little twelve-inch MacBook. I think. Anyway, it's not twenty twelve, but then yeah. Sorry about that. Thank you for correcting that. But I adore this machine, and the keyboard, knock on wood, is fine. I won't say that I adore the keyboard, 
but I don't have a stronger opinion of it than I had of the keyboard of my previous MacBook. I have exactly the same completely ambivalent feelings towards it. It neither excites me nor makes me cranky. It is. Everything else about the laptop makes me extremely happy, but the keyboard is simply present. But it doesn't matter because people like John Gruber with an infinitely bigger hoodie hate it with a fiery passion. And whether or not there's a real problem is, I think, become irrelevant. The simple fact is Apple have lost their most important users. I'm not sure that John Gruber himself personally hates it, but he... Actually, that's that's fair. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who... Like, basically, John Gruber's equivalents who are not John Gruber... Oh, is it um, it Rene Ritchie? Rene is definitely not happy. Um, It's that ilk of people. There are a lot of high-profile people who do not like the butterfly key. Well, now, what I've heard, uh, sorry, what I've heard in no. recent times has been a, an escalation from we don't like it to you know what it doesn't matter if we don't like it it breaks. Well, that's what that, that's what um, the, 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 the Apple Insider decided to try put some numbers under because anecdotally that is certainly true. But the thing is, um, I'm going to channel Alison Sheridan here for a second. The plural of anecdote is not data, and what it turns out is that. If you look at the laptop as a whole, these modern laptops, far fewer of them ever go back to Apple with any problem whatsoever. So they are actually more reliable. However, if there is a problem, it's probably the keyboard. What I've, but what there's I've less problems heard, overall. Yeah, so the keyboard I've is actually heard, more reliable. Well, no, what I've heard anecdotally... Uh, and you know, and anecdotally, you know, circumstantial evidence doesn't make a case. But... Right, I'm saying that the numbers from Apple Insider say that the the machine as a whole, as a unit, is more reliable. But yeah. if it goes wrong, it's probably the keyboard. And and that's probably exactly what, what what this stacks up to because what I've heard anecdotally is the keyboard is twice as likely to be the cause of failure as it was on pre- previous. Uh, yeah, now that's yeah, that is the number, but that's a very misleading number. That's lies, damn lies, and statistics kind of well, number. No, that's, no, 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 because that's... the actual total number of keyboard failures is down. It's just that if there is a failure, it's more likely to be the keyboard. Yes, it's not that the keyboard Indeed. is twice as likely to fail. No, no, I no, I'm a hundred percent with you there, Bart. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying. No, no, I was clarifying for the listeners. Sorry. Just... Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's one of these. <laughs> it's it's very easy to you know, throw these numbers out here and make it say that the laptop uh, fails, you know, the, the keyboard fails twice as often as previous keyboards. No, that's not what they're saying. Exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah, you're right. It's totally lies, damn lies in statistics. However, if it does fail, the cause is twice as likely to be the keyboard. In other words, most other components fail less but that means proportionately keyboard failures causing you to return the laptop. Of course, don't get me wrong, if you're a user who's got a faulty keyboard, that is a massive problem. As long as Apple keep replacing them under Apple Care, though, that's okay, right? So, well, yeah, yeah, that's where it gets interesting, though, because yeah, that's where it gets complicated. If, if you don't have the Apple Care and you've just got that first year and it does break, it's the whole keyboard you have to replace. I've I've heard figures yeah. like eight hundred US dollars to replace a broken key. 
And the thing is, right, if if I was an engineer at Apple and I was saying, what do I need to do for the next model of lap? What is the pain point that needs to be addressed? Well, clearly it is the keyboard. Because while it isn't failing more often than keyboards used to fail, when it does fail, it's a bigger problem. Therefore, if I'm going to make anything about this laptop better, it needs to be that bloody keyboard. The The problem is, as far as I can see, and as far as I've read, um, there's a lot of talk about it being crumbs and dust and other, you know, things intruding into the keyboard. But I think Alistair said to me the other day, wasn't it, on, on our show, Alistair, did you not point out that, that evidence is pointing, in fact, that it's actually a problem with the butterfly mechanism itself? That, um, that wasn't me, but yeah. It yeah, is. somebody it, pointed out to me that the problem might actually be in the butterfly mechanism itself, in that it's it you know it's too low travel and too delicate, and therefore too easily broken. Um, I mean, sorry, the, the feature what's setting it off. Like, what makes this laptop so much my, you know, what, why I adored this laptop so much is because it's about the size and weight of an iPad. Yeah, oh, and yeah. you can only get there by making by those using, keys travel the teeniest of weeniest amounts. And that that is the that is the um That is the know, compromise, right? The that reason I the love com- this device is because it has a compromised keyboard. The keyboard now the problem seems to be not in you know, people get used to the teeny weeny butterfly travel. People get oh, used yeah. to all the things that go with it. The problem seems to be that certain high profile people are complaining that when it fails, it fails spectacularly. Well, they're also, and, right, these are also the, the high-profile people who are professional writers and who who have a love of keyboards out. in the way I have a love of cameras. Yeah, and they bash the hell out of their well, Also properly. developers, and, and I'm sure there are others in the mix as well. I mean, Marco Armand is the one that I hear a lot. Mm. Um, and the other thing too is, I mean, you're talking about the trade-off for the 12-inch MacBook, but these keyboards also grace the MacBook Pros. Yeah, and that's the so point that's, when it went from a small background buy, patter to auga auga. Yeah, you can probably spend I don't know 12 grand or something on a on a fully spec'd up MacBook Pro to do some you know incredible work. I mean, you could run a TV show on one, I'm sure. Yeah. And that's got the same problem with the keyboard. And, and yeah, the numbers are, are interesting in that the keyboards fail less than the previous ones, but they cost more to replace. And you could say you should have Apple Care, but what if these people run these machines for four or five years, like we know Macs can and have done in the past? Yeah. And they're up for us. I've just found the, the figure here a $700 replacement when mm. when they happen to drop a crumb under the well, keyboard the pro- and it sticks the- and they can't get it out. Right. Well, this is an early 2015, which by my maths tells me I'm out of Apple Care. Yeah. Well, my machine, obviously, I'm, I'm mine's uh, late 2012, uh, you know, big fat, old fashioned chiclet keys, uh, you know, DVD drive, now filled with a, an SSD. Um, so you know we we you know we stretch these machines a long way, yep. but the biggest problem, as I understand it, is the the problem with the butterfly keyboard is it's it's part of the top shell. The <clears throat> on a lot of the modern machines, the the batteries are welded into the top shell. So if your key sticks and refuses to work. The only way to fix it is to replace the top shell. 
the yeah, keyboard, the, whole top case. the yeah. trackpad, right. uh, the and batteries, and pretty much everything except the screen and the logic board. Right, you're, but you're that is half, you've got... that is the price you're paying for the fact that these things are so light and so portable that they are effectively like a piece of paper. I mean, it is the price you pay for how amazingly wonderful these devices are every day. That's playing the 12-inch MacBook. Are people who want the powerhouse MacBook Pros asking for thinner and lighter every year? Many of them are. Like, many, many, many people are, but not not the ones who work from home. And put another way, and this is another Marco point, give, give people the choice. What if I don't want to go thinner and lighter... What if I want the power and reliability? Give me the Get choice. But at the moment, you you can't. If you need a laptop, you cannot buy a laptop unless you buy a MacBook mm-hmm. Air that doesn't have this keyboard. So you're stuck with that keyboard, no matter what you want, no matter which part of the line you're aiming for. You get this keyboard, which is why I think. I mean, regardless of the raw numbers, the perception is so toxic that Apple have no choice but to reinvent the keyboard. Yeah, I uh, think they might. I mean, in my take on that is that I'm, I'm with Alistair there. Um, obviously, as you know, as I just said, I have this, you know, 2012 MacBook Pro. It's the half inch thick, used to have a DVD drive in it. I don't have a problem with that. I like having a laptop. I do not need my laptop to be a wafer thin mint. Right, but more people do because your average person is... Apple sell a lot more laptops to business people and to students than they do to nerds. And the machines are designed for the majority of the customer. And that is the reality, unfortunately. And I don't don't have a problem with that. Okay, I don't. But would... Well, maybe, maybe it's too small a segment of the market to be worth anything. But I would... Unfortunately, they talk a lot. It's a very, very, very vocal segment, and that's why it's so toxic, and that's why Apple have a problem. Because you can look at the raw numbers and say they're doing the the logically sensible thing, but they're not doing the thing that's making their most vocal customers happy, and that's that's not sustainable. Okay, well... You know, we we could talk about this for hours, couldn't we, Bart? I mean... We, we could, because at, at the end of the day, the problem here is not the, techni- the, the technicalities. The problem here is the emotions, and whether you like it or not, you need to have people's emotions on your side, or they will not hand over vast wadges of cash. That is true. Right, come on, yeah. Let, let, let's get... Time is moving on, I know. So let's, uh, let's stop talking about this and move on. Yeah, it's it's been a good discussion though, um, and it's it's been interesting. So we shall see how it develops. It's the next time Apple do a hardware presentation that includes laptops, everyone is going to be listening for what they have to say about that keyboard. Oh yes, is it going to be the butterfly keyboard too? You know, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how Apple choose to respond. So the next collection of stories that caught my eye is that uh, we got to have some finally. So iOS 11.4 and macOS 13.5 are finally handing us over features that were promised to us quite some time ago. The most notable one is AirPlay 2, which anyone who bought the HomePod has been waiting for desperately, but also promised to us way back, I believe, in WWDC was iMessages in the cloud, which has now finally arrived. So... Those who have a HomePod or indeed any any speaker capable of AirPlay 2, and there's 32 of them apparently, um, not just Apple's own speakers, 
Uh, can now do the AirPlay 2 magic stuff where you can move stuff, but you know, play the same sound to multiple rooms and all that kind of cool stuff, which is AirPlay 2. And then we have the ability at long last to have our messages all synchronized between all of our devices and available to us through the iCloud.com web interface. So, Is it available through the web interface? Actually, that's a good point. I didn't even check. I, I had a look when it was first announced, and there was no icon there. But then, no, I don't. I, I assumed sure it had been turned on, and it hadn't. So I don't know. If it I'm just keeps sure them in they... sync, I'll be happy. Actually, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're now. My my problem sorry. with this is no, no sorry, Arthur. I didn't want to shout over you. Uh, my problem is right. AirPlay two. I, I don't have any speakers of any sort, so that's of no consequence to me. Well, no, it is, because uh, if you have devices, like, um, like I AirPlay stuff from one for, to my Apple TV and stuff, you don't, it's not oh, only yeah, yeah. for, it's not only for yeah, fancy yeah. pants speakers, right? I, I have, I have, you know, I have done that occasionally, but so, you know, that's, but for me, it's like one of those minor incremental things that just comes along that you hardly notice happening. Um, yeah. Unless you've got, a, you know, a Sonos set up or a, a, a HomePod or... Well, there unless are you software, have a problem with the old one. There are software versions of receivers as well. So I run an app on my Mac that re- that makes my Mac behave like a, like an AirPlay speaker. So, I mean, it's, it's not only if you spend expensive hardware. Okay, yeah, fine. Um, what I'm saying is, for me, right, it's not something that's not even crossed my radar because... Um, it's not something I'm even remotely interested in, and that doesn't mean it's it's useless. It just means that I don't pay any attention to that. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Yeah, well, I um, think a lot of people who bought who bought the HomePod have been waiting for this because oh. that multi-room stuff is damnable useful, but also the ability to turn multiple HomePods into a stereo set is obviously going to be oh, of great Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. People who've, um, you know, bought into the HomePod experience have been absolutely desperate for it. And as far as I'm aware, uh, it also includes, as it says here, you know, and some other speakers. So I believe that includes uh, Sonos sets and... Um, probably some other very expensive, clever... Well, since there's a link in the show notes to the 32 speakers that currently support AirPlay 2, not including the HomePod. Um, well, and, and that's you know, only going to go up, right? Well, that's good. That's good. Don't don't get me wrong. The fact that it's not something that interests me in the least doesn't, doesn't um, detract from its importance to other people. It just means that I have nothing to say on that particular <laughs> Just uh, a, a little bit of... I'm just reading here on the iMore story. Um, so your messages will go to iCloud, but there isn't a web interface. So no, I'll just check that. What it does is it backs them up to iCloud, which means that you won't lose your messages if you lose your device. But there isn't a way to see that backup other than restoring it down to one of your devices. So What it, what it will do, though... Um, which a lot of people have pointed out, um, is it will reduce the amount of storage used on your local device. Yeah, because your attachments are in Z Cloud. Yes, and many I have had many people um, in various uh, Slack rooms that I you know I frequent. Mm. Some of whom have seen their storage on their iPhone reduce, you know, by fifty, sixty, seventy gigabytes. Okay, so they obviously send a lot of attachments. Well, yeah. yeah. Conversely, it can increase your use on iCloud Drive. 
Well, obviously yes. it can, yes. The thing is, I, I if you pay for even their cheapest paid tier, you suddenly have quite a lot of space. Mm. Oh, 50 gig, once you've got backups and photos and a few other uh, things Yeah, okay, there. so I don't have photos, I only have backups, and I find it somebody very was, hard Somebody was talking in one of the Slack rooms that I... Uh, frequent, which might be essential Apple, about somebody had mentioned a 200 gig or something messages thread. Obviously, they Ooh. use it a lot and send lots. Well, if if you keep sending people videos, I and guess. you're only ever on Wi-Fi, I mean, you know, why would you think twice about sending a big video to somebody over messages if, you, if everyone's on Wi-Fi? You wouldn't. Mm. Fair point. So mm. if they're keeping those, it could add up quickly. And GIFs, uh, somebody mentioned, are necessarily terribly efficient in uh, in terms of space. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. So I say, look, we were promised these features a long time ago, so it's interesting that they finally come out because that's something we're not really used to in that in the Apple ecosystem. We generally speaking, Apple tells us stuff just before they hand it to us, whereas in this case, they told us about stuff and then kept it away from us for quite some time. I mean, I'm a little bit um, kind of out of the loop there because I'm on the betas, so I'm not really sure when. <laughs> you don't know what we what we mortals have, yeah. And I'm not really sure when that kicked in for me, but I did notice that when it went live, my uh, storage on my local device did actually go down because cool. probably some of it wasn't fully live until it went you know, fully public. Now, for the last two main stories here, we're going to leave Apple aside and look at what Apple's competitors are getting up to. So the first thing that caught my eye is a preview from Microsoft of their upcoming Surface Hub 2. Now, this is a device that they are very much pitching at industry, uh, at uh, organizations rather than at individuals, because their whole spiel here that this is about empowering people in separate physical locations to work together, and it's very much a work device. But imagine a dumb flip chart, and then imagine replacing that stupid white piece of paper with a 50-inch 4K... Touch screen with a 4K webcam thrown in for good measure. And then you have a single unit of the Hub 2. And it's gorgeous, right? But that's not what makes it cool. What makes it cool is that you can take up to four of these and connect them into a grid so that you basically get something the size of a whiteboard. That is four times 50 inches and is a touchscreen with cameras, etc. The video demonstrating this new sort of web of devices looks amazing. Um, Now, they are rolling it out to select partners this year and general availability in 2019. But shock and or horror, the one thing not mentioned anywhere near the video is the price tag. Yeah, well, it ain't going to be cheap, is it? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's it's not aimed at us end users. It's aimed at corporations, uh, yeah. and I no, think it's aimed a... at corporations with a budget. Uh, I think okay. that's aimed at... Five-figure um, budget, I would, I would guess. Yeah. I uh, think we're talking about um, conference spaces and yes. people like that. Yeah. Now, I recently had, uh, I ended up in Microsoft. So Microsoft have have a new European headquarters in Dublin, which they opened about three months ago. And I had a day-long meeting in there. And because of a kerfuffle, they couldn't have our meeting in the normal place where they house the visitors. And they had to let mere mortals like me into the actual innards of the new headquarters. 
So I got to see how they actually live in there. It's very interesting to see how Microsoft work. And when you've seen how Microsoft organize their office, this product makes so much sense. So it's all about open plan hot desking. Everyone's hot desking. But everywhere there are little breakout rooms and little unbookable spaces where you actually go together to collaborate. And it's in those kind of rooms where you can just see these devices completely coming into their own. Um, it's, yeah, th- I mean, this is entirely in keeping with Microsoft's ethos for how large organizations should work. And I have to say it demoed extremely well in the video. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did see the, I did see the video and, um, was, was that not also the one where they showed their AI, um, kind of effectively, uh, transcribing the meeting? Uh, that wasn't what was in the demo I saw. The demo I saw was focusing entirely on sort of the the, the touch screen and the giant big four K okay. and the. Well, I, I I saw a a another demo then where they were focusing on the hub, um, and pointing out that the hub could be, um, paired with Cortana, and that they could then transcribe your meeting for you. Nice. Use using the hub and using um, AI translation and transcription, it could even attempt to uh, translate foreign languages. So, you know, if you had uh, a Spanish delegate and um, a Japanese delegate, let's say, that um, it would do its best, you know, its best Mm. to transcribe what they were saying uh, in the meeting of whether it was voice over IP or directly uh, onto the screen for other delegates, you know, who might not understand Spanish or Japanese or whatever to read. Um, so, you know, it's an in-depth, this is not a, a one-off thing. This is, a, they've got a whole kind of in-depth strategy here. Oh yeah. I mean, and they, they push in, in the, the two and a half minute video linked in the show notes they very much push the fact that this is designed to integrate with their Office 365 product, with their whiteboard product, with their Teams product. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, and it, it's so nice to see Microsoft with a joined-up, sane and sensible strategy. I so much prefer Satya Nadella's Microsoft to Steve Ballmer's oh, Microsoft. Yeah. These that, guys are making all. sense. I like it. You know, yeah. I, I have to say, you know, um, we all laughed at Steve Ballmer and you know, God bless him. He he did what he thought was right, but he was wrong. <laughs> he was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be blunt about it. <laughs> Whatever the opposite yes, of a was... fan is, I I think that man yeah, mismanaged and, and Microsoft. Sorry, yeah. Um, and, you know, he we all laughed. You know, uh, if you were a Microsoft fan, you kind of you cringed. Winced. <laughs> and uh, if you were uh, an Apple fan, you laughed and. Um, when when Satya came along, you know, I think those of us who are rather more platform agnostic thought, thank God for that, we've got somebody who might restore Microsoft to some kind of sanity. Well, at the end of and- the day, right, because Satya Adela believes in services rather than in an operating system, mm. some of the best Microsoft apps are their iOS apps. Well, you know... 
uh, I'm not wrong, am I? Satya came from the um, web services division. You're exactly right, and that's exactly why he he understands these things. He's also the guy who brought Linux into Azure and all those kind of things. Exactly, and he has kind of developed this Microsoft um, policy, which is it's no longer about Windows, which is why I believe Windows has now been moved into the legacy division. Yeah, it's about Microsoft services in the cloud yeah i don't care what you know i don't care what um os you use i just want you to use our yeah and it works right because i am a mac user i am an ios user and i am an extremely happy office 365 user yeah Yeah, try using it on windows though well, that's the thing. I actually find it ironic that I have a better Office 365 experience than my Windows colleagues, but it's their fault. They're on Windows, not mine. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we, we have Office 365 at work, and, and we are across you know, at least four major cities in New Zealand, even though we're uh, only a New Zealand company. I can see this, this Surface Hub 2 being a huge boon to us. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the... The unfortunate downside to Microsoft's current direction is that they're kind of doing a bit of a Google and throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Yeah. And a lot of it's sticking, but it's still just stuff stuck to a wall. It's not actually a, a, an artwork. Well, I, okay, and so I'm, my impression, Alistair, is they're changing a bit, though, because they threw a lot of stuff at the wall, but they're now in the mop-up phase, if you'll excuse the horrible metaphor. Um, and I think the best I, I illustration so. is the fact that they are now completely doubling down on Teams and actively decommissioning uh, Skype for Business. Like, yeah, they're actively pushing f- people to Teams. We keep being sold on Teams, but nobody can actually tell me how it works. I I, I, I use it every day. Uh, we, you know, we use the chat uh, aspect of it, and, uh, and it's great in many respects. But they keep talking about, oh, it integrates with this and it integrates with that and it integrates with, for example, Microsoft Planner, which is their Trello clone, their ugly version of Trello. Um, And it integrates with Planner. Well, it has a web view of the Planner online. That's it. And yes, you can right-click on something and send a message, which you Uh, not do from the web interface, but... It's Slack. Can't people cut and paste? Right, but no, you shouldn't have to. It's we're extremely heavy Teams users. It's Slack, and it's not about the integrations. It's about having the human beings use it properly. It's it's a way of working yeah. and a way of thinking, and it doesn't matter what does do in the software. If if people in your organization don't buy in, it cannot work, and if people in your organization do buy in, it will work extremely well. Yeah, I just I just don't see how it differs dramatically from Skype for Business, which is what we... Oh, well, Skype for Business is, is just VoIP. Still use. Skype for Business is just uh, VoIP. It doesn't have the team functionality. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm still not seeing the value in the team functionality that's there. It seems to be sort of pasted in and, and not oh, really... Yeah, a, no, 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 the value comes when the human beings buy in. And until the, you need to have the people actually using the app to actually run projects and to actually work within teams as a team. And then you will realize that everything is there. It's, it's, it's ready to go. I mean, I, I use it every day along with a team to do things. So for every different group of people you're involved with, you create a separate Microsoft team. And within those teams, every project gets a channel. And then each of that gives you a breakdown where you have the ability to have 
conversations, files, app integrations on a per channel basis. So let's say hypothetically, not even slightly hypothetically, that you you run the virtual learning environment for a university. Then you're in a team with the people for the VLE and you have a separate channel for this year's VLE, next year's VLE, the year after's VLE. So one of them is in legacy mode. One of them is currently operating. So you have operational issues and the other one is in the planning stages for next year. Everything is collected together. So as you move into the different channels, it's all there waiting for you. It It's extremely good if and only if the people you are working with are bought into it. It's entirely down to the people. Well, maybe it's a discoverability issue because I've, I've poked around the interface and yes, I understand that you know, people adding content is what makes it really sing. But just poking around the interface I find incredibly confusing. But until there's but anyway. content in it, it is incredibly confusing because it's just a giant big empty space. And, like, With lots I, of buttons everywhere. Well, that's also getting better. And the magic little command line-like thing they added at the top is damnably useful when you get to know it. Anyway, we're completely gone off topic here. Completely <laughs> off topic. But there I'm we go. Me saying, waxing I'm, lyrical about a Microsoft product. Who would have thought? And I'm running and I'm running out of time, guys. I'm getting uh, I'm running out of time and I'm getting quite tired. But uh Well, I was going to say on. if you if you need to leave us, you are um, you know, just say so and we can we can let you off. But we're basically we have one big story and a few quick stories left. So what do you want to do? Uh, no, I'll 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 soldier on. Yeah, so John, okay. Well, let us move from Microsoft into Google territory and google previewed a product and i i am choosing my words carefully here because i don't believe google demoed anything uh, google previewed a product they're calling duplex and the raison d'etre for this project is to have ai interact with human beings in the way human beings most naturally interact via voice and the AI is designed to mimic human speech and to hence be able to phone up things and people on your behalf and behave as your autonomous agent. And the demo made everyone go ooh and ah. But Google kind of left out all of the ethics of this thing. So pretending to be human is certainly ethically questionable at best. And there is also a very, very large lack of clarity about what we actually saw. What we saw was a video. How staged was it? It was not a live demo. And they didn't do a demo for journalists afterwards either, which is what Apple would usually do if they had some sort of video rather than a demo. So we don't really know how contrived or not it is. But when you listen back to the conversation, it seems extremely contrived to me because I have never phoned up a hair salon and not have them say who they are and ask yeah. me who I am. Um, uh, my my take on this is, at, at first, it seemed incredibly impressive. Yeah. Okay, first take, it seemed incredibly impressive. Yeah, agree. Um, and very clever. Then people lo- raised a load of ethical questions. Now... If you're going to run a demo of something, the question's about whether or not it should identify itself as the, the Google Assistant and this, that, and the other. Uh, I, you know, I can put those aside. If you're talking about trying to demo something that's new and fresh and clever, should should we identify ourselves as the Google Assistant? Well, probably not in a demo, you know, in a trial, because people are just going to, you know, instantly change their behavior. So... I can live with that. 
It's but, the thing is, I can't. So I'm going to argue with you very, very vociferously on that point. But carry on for a moment, because I don't want to okay. disrupt your train of thought. Okay, so the next thing was, yes, um, so the, the original presentation seemed really spectacular. But it was one of those things, when you step back and thought about it, it's like, hang on. <laughs> hang on. You ring up. You ring up this business and they don't say who they are. What business doesn't open a conversation by saying, hello, you've reached, um, you know, Wing Chun Laundry. What is it you want? Um, well, also, so th- when you go to book an appointment, the other question generally comes up is then, who are you? Uh, yes, there's, there's also that, you know, at no point. Um, Which uh, stylist would you like? Uh, you know all these all these things. Okay, so it was slightly staged. We could go with that. You know, we're trying to show off a, a, a you know, a beta level cleverness. But it must have been but, staged to the point where it was probably scripted. Well, it was then. You know, then you start looking at it. It became staged to the point that uh, uh, actually, hang on, nothing in this rings true at all, and there's no live demo for anybody at all. Yeah. Not even weeks after the event, then you start to say, "Hang on, this this smells like a bad kipper." I mean, Not it's certainly right. something that are, it's certainly a demonstration of what they're working on. But well, I'm no more sure as to how close they are or not than than I was, at the, you know, initially. So, it, yeah, I mean, it's clearly what they're working on, but I don't know how close they are to making it a reality. But my biggest yeah. issue is if you make a technology like this, it's like security cannot be an afterthought. Ethics cannot be an afterthought. When Apple rolled out Siri, they announced, along with Siri, the privacy controls they were putting in place. They were they were not two separate conversations, and they can't be two separate conversations. And the fact that Google didn't even think to mention ethics means that Google aren't thinking about the ethics. Because if they were, they would have mentioned it. Oh, well, I guess I guess that's a valid argument. I mean, I'm not sure that I would necessarily feel that um but you could be right but i would not necessarily feel that i I get the impression that someone somewhere did this and uh they thought it was damnable cool and it is damnable cool and it was damnable cool i mean the the thing is you don't you don't turn something damnable cool into a product without thinking about the damnable implications no, no you don't that is true I mean, the, the the one thing that came out on the Essential Apple show was, um, I think it was, I think it was Nick Riley who said, um, rather than looking at it in the way that um, Google have presented it, I would prefer to look at it in in reverse. It would be quite cool if my mainframe, for example, could call me if there was a problem and talk oh. to me. Oh, that's an interesting so, idea. Yeah, that, that was a good idea, that one. That, yeah, because I'm yeah. a human. Talk to me like I'm a human. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, you know, rather than, you know, this kind of outward-looking way, could we not turn it the other way around? I I would love to see that technology turn the other way around so that, for example, you know, if I get a telephone call from, you know, the data center, what I get is a phone call that isn't like, alert, alert. Come to data center. What I get is a phone call that says, hello, Nick, there appears to be a problem with server number seven. 
And I could ask, a, you know, a limited number of questions, which is, mm. you know, okay, you know, assistant, what ha- seems to be wrong? Have you tried to, turning you it know? off and turning it on again? Yeah, <laughs> yes, precisely. I have. That didn't work. Okay, I guess exactly. I'm coming into the office. You know, yeah. Is, is this a problem where, you know, is the, you know, is the uh, server completely down or, you know, is it a yeah. power failure? Where, you know, where the conversation would be within a limited remit because obviously the AI would, right. the, the discussion would simply be between the AI and him about a limited number of features. Yeah, but the key and point his, is there's no deception there, right? No. Google no, presented as this as a device designed to achieve, de- de- designed to deceive and made a point about how good it was at tricking people into thinking it was a human being. Yes, yes. And and, and as I say, we, we were both kind of somewhat dubious about that. But his point was, I'd love to see that technology turned round. Yeah, I hadn't. Used- had not occurred to me that is a that is a fantastic idea because it takes all the ethics out of it because I am choosing to ask Google to provide me with a service where I know it's an AI because I asked them to do it. All the problems yes. vanish. Yes, exactly. He's saying if you turn it round the other way, then that's great. So my data ser- you know, my data server brings me up and says, Nick, there is a problem here. We need to, you know, and you can talk to it and ask it questions and then he can decide, can I, you know, is this something I can remote in and fix or do I need to get in my car and drive down and, and deal with a problem in the data set? And we do also have to say that the other obvious, the other obvious and highly, highly ethical use for this kind of technology would be as an assistive technology, but it would need to make, you know, it, announce to the recipient basically i'm calling on behalf of so and so you know i am the assistant of technology calling on behalf of so and so and that is a that is another one obviously again i think it's something that nick raised of course you know used correctly um and like we were talking about earlier on you know anything that can be turned to um assist people with disabilities is fantastic if you can turn that into a way for somebody who is maybe speech deprived or oh yeah i mean there, there know, there's very very legitimate use of something again it's like i think everyone agrees that let's assume right let's put aside the fact that the demo is a bit fishy right let's put yeah, that aside yeah, let's that's... assume it, it it either does or very shortly will do what the demo implied it does or will do. Let's just assume that the technology works. At that point, Google have come up with some amazing technology and they should be commended for their technical excellence. Oh, yeah. they absolutely need to be better about thinking through the bloody ethics of these things before they go any further. And it worries me deeply that no one thought to put that up on the slide because it just means it's not in their head. It means they're not thinking about it and they should be. I, I think I the think biggest, the biggest no, no, miss they've got yeah. was trying to solve a problem it needs solving. I don't need somebody to call up and book me a haircut or a restaurant for that matter. It's, I mean, if you're going to angle it at the disability um, assistive technologies, then then demonstrate how it can actually assist people, and and you know you obviously have to deal with ethics on that side as well. But hey, look, we've just figured out how to call up and book a haircut for you. Wow, I mean, how many people were actually clamoring for that service? It's, um, it's, it's, I, I'm not. Thro- sure. It's throwing it at the at the, you know, 
what's the um there's a the douglas adams book that's not the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy one of them um they have an electric monk because everybody gets electric appliances to make life easier so if you're having trouble believing in things here's an electric monk to believe in things <laughs> i like that and it's you know, a complete piss take pardon the, the language on sure. on society getting simpler and simpler and i think this goes very much in that direction in my view I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, there may be some people who think differently, but it's it's like it's really not a problem that the world needs solving when there are a lot of problems that it does need solving. But the, the, it boils down to some nerds did something cool and without really thinking it through, decided it was worth just throwing at the wall. Whereas the... I think it's a I think it's a classic case of we can do this, but do we really need to do this? Um, yeah, pretty much. It's a problem in search I, of a solution, and that's always a bad start. Anyway, I'm going to move and, us on, folks, because yes, it's getting yeah, late. Time. Time. <laughs> time, time. So that brings us to the end of our main stories. I just want to quickly run through some other things that are we should note that happened rather than dig into deeply. And uh, We have talked a lot on this show about the battle of our times between, you know, our privacy and our government. And that's, that's a difficult balance to strike. But a data point of significance appeared. The FBI admitted they repeatedly overstated the number of encrypted cell phones they have that they're trying to break into. Uh, And they overstated them by a factor of six. It's not clear whether it's incompetence or malice, but either way, the FBI really should do better than that. They should do better than that. Um, the, The latest I've read on that bar is that they have claimed, quote, you know, air quote, claimed, that it was due to uh, the way that they record these things. and um, Yeah, they multi-counted. They could, been, they could have been multi-counted across different um, categories. But basically, uh, if, if the same phone is needed for two criminal cases, then it counts as two yeah, phones yeah, magically, I'm or not, four, I'm or six, conv- or eight. No, I'm not convinced though by that, but um, that's their excuse. Ultimately, though, from my point of view, the really important point is it doesn't matter what the number is. If it's one or a million, a back a mandatory backdoor remains a terrible bloody idea with yeah. all of the same problems, yeah. no matter how many or how few phones you have. So my biggest fear is that people get distracted by the number away from the core point that it's a bad idea. Doesn't matter what the number is. Anyway, uh, we've been through this ground so often, I'm going to move along. Um, yep, move on. Move just on. to say, Apple are continuing their Everyone Can Code program. They are partnering with schools for the blind and deaf across America, which I would highly commend. Uh, Apple's uh, yep. environmental commitment continues apace. Uh, rather coolly, Apple acted as matchmaker, corporate matchmaker, between aluminium giants Alcoa and Reno Tinto. Uh, together, they were able to commercialize a new mechanism or a new process from smelting aluminium, which instead of spitting out vast wadges of CO2, spits out oxygen. Which is a uh, yeah. damn sight yeah. better for the world. Oh, yeah. We, we covered That's this. That's a cool actually. demo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is a cool demo, yes. <laughs> we, we, we covered this. Um, and, yeah, it's excellent. Um, Apple, apparently in partnership with these uh, other companies, have found a way to um, convert aluminium ore into aluminium. Um which uses vast amounts of electricity. And in the past, they've had to use a catalyst, which converts to uh, CO2. 
but they have discovered a new catalyst which allow them to do such a thing and it releases only oxygen. So fantastic. Mm. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have worked many, uh, you know, long, hard years to make that. Well, you see, the thing is, right, so Apple have relationships with all, with the, with both companies in this partnership and one of the engineers told Apple about the cool idea, but they couldn't commercialize it. And so Apple went and found them a partner to allow them to commercialize it. So literally, by having the contacts and by putting the right people in touch with each other and then putting down some cold, hard cash, Apple made this happen. So it wasn't Apple's innovation, but it was nonetheless oh, no. Apple who were able to turn to basically to find an innovation and to turn it from a great idea into an actual commercially viable process and i think that's even more interesting than if apple were to have made this up themselves so this is again apple really using their corporate skills and just well impressed yeah just just a side note there uh, Mm -hmm. we have a rio tinto owned aluminium smelter in new zealand it uses 13 percent of new zealand's total electricity supply okay then oh yeah so making metal go runny takes a lot of lecky, apparently. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Making uh, 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 This is why, as we discussed um, previously, you know, um, I, I discussed it on the Essential Apple. Converting aluminium ore into aluminium uses vast amounts of electricity. And this is yeah. why the only way to do it sensibly is to, uh, you know, in Africa, it's all done by the Volta Dam because that's where they can generate huge amounts of hydroelectric. Yeah. Yep. You don't just build a smelter anywhere. Indeed. No. Um, probably not unrelated. <laughs> the Environmental Law Institute, which is an international body which works on improving environmental legislation across the planet, has issued their Environmental Achievement Award 2018 to a certain Lisa Jackson, Apple VP in charge of environmental initiatives. <laughs> well, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure it wasn't entire, only this, but Apple have been very no. much doing the right things in that direction. So it's she, nice to she, see. You know, she, she well and truly deserves it, I'm sure. I would that, agree with that. Know. Um the unexpected shutdown iPhone battery replacement program continues. Um, it is now the case that Apple have said that the delays are finished. They actually have capacity now to process people's requests promptly. Uh, so I finally pushed the button on mine. Uh, and I, in fact, have a box waiting for me to put my phone into and send it back to Apple. So they are they are correct. The waiting times are gone now. So that's good. And Apple are also going to refund customers who paid the full price before this cheaper program was introduced, which is also a good thing. Uh, it is a good thing. And um, despite, uh, I'll be fair, um, but a lot of news outlets are making out that they're only now saying that they will refund people who uh, paid previously. And that's not actually true. They announced right at the start that if you'd already paid i think they said they were uh, going to look into it they were a bit they? well uh, as far as i understood it they were pretty much clear that if you'd already paid uh once they announced the uh replacement you know 29 dollar or whatever it was replacement that if you'd already paid they'd give you your money back anyway it's all good. Um, we also talked quite a lot over the past few months about the troubled sale of Toshiba's memory division. There was a lot of kerfuffling one way or the other. Um, they, it's all over. Uh, there is a winner. The deal has closed. Uh, the consortium, led by Bain Capital and containing a certain Apple Inc., 
has succeeded in purchasing Deceiver's memory division for a whopping 18 billion US dollars. So Apple are now part owners of a memory factory, which, given what Apple make, is probably in their interest. I was going to say, small change. Small change. Mm, indeed. Come on. But, um, um, 18 billion is small change for Apple. We don't have details, really, but Apple have created a new mu- music publishing division. Um, it's entirely possible that by the end of tomorrow we'll have more of an idea what this is for. But it would seem that Apple are going to make music, or yeah, somehow get involved in the making of music as well as the selling of music. But time will have to tell us what they're planning to get up to I there. But wow. I, I suspect that has more to do with TV programs than it has to do with music. Yeah, we shall see. It, it, yeah, it's 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 a it's a story you know to stick a pin in because it doesn't yeah, mean anything it yet. Indeed, yeah. All I can say is this: I have a friend who knows and and works with some musicians uh, here in New Zealand, and that is an industry that could do with disrupting. Indeed, indeed. Um, Apple have increased their autonomous vehicle fleet in California up to 55 vehicles with 83 registered drivers, and that makes them the second biggest fleet of autonomous vehicles in California. Uh, GM crews take the top spot with 104 registered vehicles. Apple second with their 55. And for context, uh, Waymo and Tesla are third and fourth with 51 and 39 vehicles, respectively. So that gives um, you some idea of how the landscape is looking in California for this kind of experimentation. um, There was, uh, we covered a story um, earlier in the month where apparently to qualify for that testing in California, you have to prove that your vehicles have previously been tested and qualify for what is uh, at least level four or five of AI autonomy, by the way. Yeah, and I noticed, actually, just uh, if we're talking about subtleties, uh, Apple are not licensed for self-driving, just for autonomous, which is interesting. Yeah. Um. Apple have also confirmed they're going to be experimenting with drones in North Carolina uh, in an attempt to improve Apple Maps. Basically, North Carolina have a program where some drone users are allowed to go beyond what the current FAA regulations allow to sort of see how those regulations should be updated, I guess, to some extent. And Apple are one of the companies who have permission to go above and beyond the current rules. And Apple stressed that this in no way changes their privacy policies and they're going to be very careful to do all of this work respecting people's privacy. And this is what I mean by announcing the privacy stuff at the same time you announce the cool tech. Um, yeah. So, yeah, all good if it makes Apple Maps better. Um, and finally, Google demoed, actually demoed, a new API at their recent developer conference called Cloud Anchor. And what this API allows is for the sharing of a single augmented reality experience among multiple devices, and those devices could be running iOS or Android. And so the way it would work is that two two or more people would be in the same physical space running versions of the same app and some people may be on Android phones and some people may be on iOS phones, but they're all running the same app and they're all logged into the same room or whatever. And then they would each see through their own phones the same virtual world superimposed on the same physical world where they both happen to be. So they're basically sharing an imagined world, which is just really darn cool. And 
it is definitely real because the first app demonstrating the the process is available in both the Play Store and the iOS App Store. And the guys over at iMore downloaded said app onto a Pixel 2 and onto an iPhone, and they succeeded in sharing a virtual world between the Pixel phone and the iPhone. Uh, the app doesn't do very much. It's called Just a Line, and it lets you draw in pretend space where everyone can see it. But hey, it proves that this shared universe across platforms works. Well, I was going to say, that's a, it, it's almost a, you know proof concept there, isn't it? It's it is. Like, but it's great to see yeah, that this you, isn't vaporware. This is real, sis. This is real. You, I mean, um, I've had a look at the um, iMore thing. And effectively, you can draw kind of like a, a tube of, you know, like a toothpaste extrusion in 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 AR. I mean, that's what it adds up to. Effectively, you draw what what looks like a, you know, yeah, it's just a, a line. That's the title of the app. Of, <laughs> yes, I mean it looks, but it looks like a piece of toothpaste. And you know, someone else on another platform can also draw another piece of. Well, they can also see but, your toothpaste if we're going to keep calling exactly. it toothpaste. And the whole the, the whole point is, yes, it's a shared virtual steps. world. It's a shared virtual world across platforms, and uh, I think that's fantastic. I think it's a brilliant step forward. Okay, that's. I predict, I predict that games are going to be the first to take advantage of that. Oh, I yes. think that's a good prediction, Alistair. <laughs> I think it's a very good prediction. Uh, that brings us to the end of our stories for the month. Just a reminder to anyone who happens to hear this show before tomorrow, which is probably not going to be that many people. Ah, pretty unlikely. <laughs> but just in case, pretty you, unlikely. Just in case you do, tomorrow is June fourth. Tomorrow is WWDC keynote. Uh, it is going to be live streamed. You're going to be able to watch it from Apple's events page, but you're going to need to be using Safari on one of the many platforms that supports Safari. Link in show notes um, with instructions no, from the actually, Mac Observer. I believe that's not true. I believe Apple have actually opened up the number of um, browsers that will will stream it. To be honest. Okay. Either way, links and show notes to instructions from the Mac Observer, and it yeah. is live streaming tomorrow. Uh, panel, thank you very much for giving sacrificing a chunk of your Sunday to come talk to me. Very much appreciated. Or in your case, Alistair, a chunk of your Monday. Um, <laughs> Uh, do let's let's go in reverse order. So, Alistair, would you like to let the listeners know where they can hear more from you? Uh, not so much here, but read at the moment. Uh, Zkarj.me on the web will get you to pretty much everything that I do. Perfect, nice and simple. Uh, Simon, do you want to plug your little podcast, which happens to share a podcasting network with this very podcast? Uh, well, uh, yeah, you you can find uh, the Essential Apple at essentialapple.com or, of course, on mymac.com. And you can find me personally on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Excellent. Um, I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So my personal site is at bartb.ie. But just before we wrap up, just to say that this podcast website is at let's-talk.ie. There will be detailed show notes posted up there shortly after the show airs with links to all of the news stories that informed my thinking in this panel discussion. Um, quite a lot of them this month. Uh, and then there will also be some buttons labeled support the show. Um, please consider doing so. You can support the show in very practical ways, by just telling your friends, reviewing the show on your podcatcher of choice. You can make a one-off PayPal donation, or you can sign up to be a patron. 
the idea is this is on Patreon. You pledge a certain amount per episode. There will be exactly two episodes per month, one photography, one Apple. So if you'd like to donate $2, pledge $1 per episode, you get the idea. Um, thank you very much to everyone who has supported the show in any way in the past. And, you know, if you can, please consider supporting us into the future. So that's it for this month. Until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This is Mark Chappell of the Essential Mac and the Rampant Mumblings podcast. And this is Carl Madden of the Mac and Forth Show podcast. You know what, Carl? No, never met him. But it's funny how many people ask. No, no, no. I mean, you know what we should do? Get better writers? Well, that goes without saying. No, I think we should merge. Excuse me? Rampant Mumblings, Essential Mac, Mac and Forth should merge. Sounds messy. No, no, no. It'll be good. We can still have all the incisive news, views and opinions of Rampant Mumblings and Essential Mac along with, well, whatever Mac and Forth has to offer. Hmm. And what should we call this new monster? Uh, I mean venture. Well, it's still essentially an Apple-related show, so why not How Do You Like Those Apples? Catchy, but does it essentially sum up what an Apple show should be about? All right, how about Get Your Apples Here, An Apple A Day, Chatty Apple, Happy Pie... Oh, oh, just Apple. No, we essentially need something that is more Apple-related. Monkey Tennis! Huh? No, 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 we just need something essentially Apple that lets people know we will essentially be discussing Apple-related things. You knuckleheads! Just call your new podcast the Essential Apple Podcast for when people have essentially run out of good podcasts to listen to. Should have gone with monkey tennis.